We have been in our study of John now for 90 days. In these 90 days, I believe, in fact, I know God has been doing many things, and one of those things is he has been preparing us to stand in these last days before he comes again. I believe he's been making sure that we are grounded in the truth of Jesus, that we are grounded in the truth of the gospel of Jesus, so that we will be prepared to uphold Christ in these last days. Now, you may call me crazy. You may say I'm an alarmist, but I believe that is one of the things that he has been doing. In these days, before he is very soon to come back, I believe he's been preparing us as his church. Friends, hear me tonight. Hear me tonight. Today, the mission of the church, and I'm talking about the singular mission of the church, is to loudly proclaim the message of the church. Did you hear that? That is our mission. The mission of the church is to loudly proclaim the message of the church. Today, there's a lot of folks talking about what is the mission of the church? What are we to do in the church? Listen, the church has one mission, and that is to proclaim the message of the church. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the message of the church, now these are his words, is that we preach Christ and him crucified. Understand this evening, the message of the church is Christ and him crucified. Let me tell you, I'm afraid that is not the message in our pulpits. In fact, I'll tell you, I believe it is getting more and more rare to find the message of Christ and him crucified coming out of many of our pulpits. Yet be sure our gospel is centered on a crucified Christ. Our gospel, it moves forward with a crucified Christ. Our hope, our single hope, is alone in a crucified Christ. The message of the church is Christ and him crucified. Tonight in our verses, we're gonna see our Savior and the events of his crucifixion. Tonight, my prayer is that we would be moved in this truth tonight, in this picture tonight. Tonight, our message is entitled, The Triumphant Shout. The Triumphant Shout. Tonight, we're in John chapter 19, verses 23 through 30. John chapter 19, verses 23 through 30. The Triumphant Shout. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. 
Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had finished the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come tonight and we just praise you. Reading these words, we worship you. Reading these words, we're astounded at your grace, at your love, at your sacrifice, all shown to us in, in such great love. Lord, I pray that tonight you would speak to us. I pray that tonight we would see our Savior and his sacrifice, that tonight we would understand your love and your grace shown to us as sinners and that tonight, the fruit of this night would be you would be exalted, that you would be lifted up. I pray for some that will hear tonight that do not know you. I pray in the, in the picture of our Savior that tonight might be the night of their salvation. Lord, I pray that it, this is not a normal hour, not just a night to pass through, not just another box to check off, but I pray, Lord, that you would truly speak in this hour tonight. We give you this time. We trust it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. For our context tonight, Pilate has conceded to the demands of the Jews. The Bible says that he has turned Jesus over to the Roman soldiers to be executed. The Bible account tells us they have taken Jesus outside of the city and there they have crucified him. There they have nailed him to a cross where he is now hanging in agony on a hill called Golgotha or Calvary. Against the wishes of the Jewish leaders, Pilate has placed a sign over Jesus that declares, that titles him, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Tonight we're going to pick up in our verses right there. Starting tonight in verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. Now the Roman execution team usually was made up of four soldiers under the oversight of one centurion. And so dispatched to this event, there are four soldiers, again, in one centurion overseeing the proceeding. Part of the spoil from participating in an execution was to be given the clothes of the person that was crucified. Now, that sounds strange to us, but understand, clothes were handmade. Clothes were expensive. Clothes were not like in our day. They were uneasy to obtain. And so part of the reward, part of the spoil, was to be able to divide up the clothes of the person that was being executed. The outer clothes could be a robe or a couple of robes, could be a belt, shoes or sandals, scarves or head coverings. For Jesus, his undergarment 
was a one-piece tunic that he wore underneath his outer garments. This was an especially valuable piece. Understand, now think about this. Understand this tonight. When they take your clothes, it means you are done using them. Now I want you to think what that practically means. When they take your clothes, it means that you are naked, and it means that you're as good as dead. You're not going to need those clothes. You're not going to have them put on you some later time. And so when they take your clothes, it means you are done using them. You are naked, and you are as good as dead. And so understand Jesus has been crucified. That's how the verse starts. And there is no coming back. He is naked, and he is as good as dead. And so they divide up, they take his clothes. Verse 23 again. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier, and also the tunic. Now, the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece, verse 24. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now, understand Psalm 22, verse 18. We looked at this the last couple nights. It was written by David a thousand years before this event, and it says of the Messiah, they will divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they will cast lots. Now, again, we need to see tonight, we need to be sure this is another confirmation that this was no surprise. This is another confirmation this was God's plan. It has always been God's plan. Now, I want you to see this in what is happening here. I want you to back up and see the picture tonight. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Jesus is called the second Adam. Now, it is a picture. The first Adam, the Bible says, is of the earth. The second Adam, Jesus, is from heaven. The first Adam sins, but the second Adam, Jesus, never sins. In fact, he comes as the remedy for sin. From the first Adam, the Bible says, comes death. And in the second Adam, Jesus, we have life, physical life, and spiritual life. And so understand, Jesus is the second Adam. Well, see this tonight. When the first Adam sins, God in his grace clothes the first Adam. But here we have wicked men, and in their sin, they strip naked the second Adam. Where God covers the first Adam's shame again in his grace, here wicked men strip Jesus to bring him shame. Verse 25. Therefore the soldiers did these things. The verse goes on and says this. But, a contrast, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. The verse goes on and says, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, 
Another Mary named the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. There are four women standing at the cross of Jesus. They have made their way following the cross to the hill Golgotha. Luke says, as they followed behind, they were weeping. Well, now they are reported to be standing by the cross. Now, the Greek word here for by the cross actually translates alongside of the cross. Now, I don't, I don't want you to miss that picture. They are alongside of the cross. They are very close to the cross. Understand, Jesus is about 18 inches off of the ground. It's not the great distance that some paintings depict. He is not, but about 18 inches off of the ground. And they are alongside of the cross. They are right there with Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that. That, that means they could see the pain. They're alongside the cross. They could see his blood as it runs down. They're alongside the cross. They could hear his groans of agony. If they listen, they could hear him breathe. They're alongside the cross. Very soon, they will hear him speak. I want you to see this. This event, as important as it is, as profound as it is, as huge as it is, is still a mother and her son. Yes, listen to me. He's the son of God tonight. Yes, he is the savior of the world, but he's also the son of Mary. She's the mother of Bethlehem, the one that held him in his swaddling clothes. She was the one that carried him on her hip. She was the one that watched him grow up. She was the one that made sure as he grew up that he did not hurt. She was the one that made sure that he always had clothes. She is his mother. These women, their pain is staggering as well. Listen to this. Luke chapter 2, beginning of verse 25, just listen. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, and then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord... You are releasing your bond service to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon told her it would be like a sword that pierced her very own soul. It's about a mother and a son. I want you to see something else as we proceed in the verses. 
It's not only about a mother and her son. It is also about a son and his mother. Look at verse 26. When Jesus then saw his mother, and I want you to picture that. He's there on the cross. Surely he's been involved in the, in the process of being crucified. But then he looks and he sees his mother. And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Verse 27. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Now I want you to remember this. Jesus is God. He is God on a mission to save the world. Jesus is God. Very soon he conquers death, but he is also a man. And he knew the lot of men. And he knows Mary's pain. He knows her need then. He knows her need that's coming soon. The Bible says that Jesus saw the disciple whom he loved. Now again, understand it's talking about John. He never names himself in this gospel. It's talking about the author of our gospel. He is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now I want you to notice this. He is the only male of Jesus' party, of Jesus' friends, who is recorded near the cross. He loved Jesus. And so he walked closely with him all the way to the end. And as he died, he was there with him alongside Jesus at the cross. Jesus says, woman, behold your son. It most literally translates, here is your son. Jesus says to John, here is your mother. From then on, Mary is to depend on John, and John is to care for Mary. It is an adoption that is taking place here at the cross of Calvary. Behold your son, behold, see your mother. I want you to notice this. Jesus isn't so consumed with the big thing that he didn't love those right before him. And he takes care of his mother at the cross of Calvary. And then, and only then, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things have been accomplished, to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. Now understand, part of the torture of the cross was dehydration. The work of carrying the cross beam, the labor of breathing, the loss of much blood, the exposure to the sun, the elements, the wind, the length of time, and the person would be severely dehydrated. It would be a mental thing as well. They would yearn, they would thirst greatly for a drink. Well, understand Jesus as a man is suffering as a man and is experiencing all of the cross in his flesh. Now, some folks say that's not true, but listen, as a man, he suffers all of the pain, all of the anguish of the cross. And at this point, he says, I am thirsty. Literally, I thirst. King David also writes a thousand years before this event, Psalm 69, verse 21. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Verse 29. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it to his mouth. Now understand, 
This was the cheap wine. This was the sour wine that was kept at the execution site for the soldiers to drink. That's why it was there. Well, somebody takes a hyssop branch and they dip it in the wine and they touch it to his lips. They give him a drop to drink. Now, I want you to notice here, start to see this. The verse says, knowing that all things already had been accomplished, knowing that all things had already been accomplished. Listen very carefully. Why do we preach Christ and him crucified? It is because all things were accomplished. All things, listen to me, were brought to a head in the cross of Calvary. And it says here, Jesus, knowing that everything was done, Jesus, knowing that nothing was left undone, Jesus, knowing the Father's will had been carried out, walked out in perfection, takes this sip, and then verse 30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. In the Greek, it is actually only one word, the word tetelestai. Now, I want you to stay with me tonight. I want you to be sure of this. This is why we preach Christ and him crucified. Tetelestai means fulfilled, performed, perfected, completed. That is the translation. In their day, it had become an accounting word. The tax clerks used this word when someone came in and paid their taxes. Over their tax settlement, it was written tetelestai at the top of the statement, paid in full. Again, it meant fulfilled, performed, perfected, completed. Again, it comes to mean paid in full, tetelestai. And so Jesus, nailed to the cross of Calvary, says it is finished. The law is fulfilled. The prophecies are all met. The price of redemption is now fully paid. The sacrifice for sin has now been given. God's wrath towards sin is appeased in him and nothing is left undone. It is finished. Now stay with me tonight. That is why we preach Christ and him crucified. You see, in Jesus, our crucified Savior, there is nothing left for men to do. There is no further act that must be done. We're not left to seek something else, but in Jesus, it is finished. That is why we preach Christ and him crucified. You see, at the cross of Jesus, it is fulfilled, it is performed, it is completed, it is perfected. And that is why we preach Christ and him crucified. Let me show you one last thing. In Matthew and Mark, the Gospels, it is recorded this single Greek word, tetelestai, was not uttered under his breath. It would be understandable in his state, it is recorded in those gospels. It is not said in a hushed tone that they would have to lean in to listen to. It is recorded in those gospels. It was not even said in a speaking voice. No, those gospels record that Jesus 
having finished the work of redemption, having fulfilled the demands of the law, having paid for sin in his very own blood, having carried out the Father's will, and not with not one thing left to chance, and with not one thing left to do, he shouts off the hill of Calvary into the sound waves of all eternity, it is finished, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, that is why we preach Christ and him crucified. It is finished at Calvary. It is finished in Jesus. Nothing left undone. It is finished in Jesus. And Paul says, and we preach Christ and him crucified. It is finished in Jesus. Let's pray. Every Father, we come and we're so thankful we're so glad. Nothing left undone. Nothing to go out and search for, to seek after. No work that we could do. We know there's nothing we could have ever done. It's your grace is given to us in Jesus. The forgiveness of sin is provided to us in Jesus. The redemption for lost sinners is secured in Jesus. Lord, you say in your very own word, it is finished. Lord, I'm thankful for a finished gospel. Thankful for a standing hope. Thankful for a peace that endures in your work, not ours, not mine. Lord, I pray for us as the church tonight that we've been encouraged. Lord, I pray for those that are lost tonight that they hear the good news that is finished in Jesus. Nothing left undone, nothing left for them to do but trust you, receive the good news in faith. Lord, we come and we praise you for this. We thank you for this. I pray as we've concluded this time that your message, your truth would bear fruit. And I pray here in this room and here in our hearts, and those that are here in other places, again, that it would bear much fruit and you be glorified and you be known. We trust it to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As I was studying that account, Jesus actually dies so quickly that it was a surprising thing. In fact, most of the folks that were put on a cross, they lived a lot longer than this, but he dies a very fast death, so much so that it was shocking to those who carried it out. And I was thinking about that. You know what? Jesus never lost control. And he never left control. And he didn't need 10 more minutes and he didn't need two more hours because the work of Calvary was finished. And so he decided, Father, into my hand, I'll commend my spirit. And he left when he was ready. It is finished in Jesus. I want to tell you there's a choice to make tonight and that is this, either trust Jesus or reject him. Either turn to Jesus or turn from him. You see, we have in the grace of God a savior tonight in Jesus our gospel is it is finished tonight in Jesus. And the good news is it is offered to each of us as sinners in Jesus. Your choice tonight is this, turn to Christ. He'll forgive you. He'll restore you. He'll save you. Or keep on going and walk away from Jesus Christ. My call tonight is this, turn to Jesus. Turn to Christ. He'll save you tonight. Just a second, we're gonna have a time of invitation. If God is speaking to you, turn to Christ. Trust Christ as your Savior, the remedy for your sin. 
He'll save you tonight. If you need more information, you come. Let's settle this tonight. Ask somebody. Let's settle this tonight. If you're here and you've trusted Christ, but you've never fallen in believer's baptism, I want to give you an opportunity as well to come and say, yes, I've trusted Jesus, but I want this testimony to stand in, in my life as a celebration of what we believe of Jesus. You come as well. We'll set a, a day that'll be a great day of celebration, testifying to Christ. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe God has led you here as well. You come and together we'll uphold his word, preaching his good news until he comes again. Maybe on this night, this 90th night, you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Maybe you want to pray for these last 10 nights that are ahead. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. We're going we're gonna to stand and sing in just a second. If God has spoken to you, if you have a decision to make, you step out and you come on, I'll meet you here. We stand and sing. If God has spoken to you, you come on, I'll meet you here.